1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love. The word of God. You may be seated. How many of you have heard part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at a wedding? Can I see a, a hand, a raise of hands? Okay, keep your hand up if you had 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding. Anybody? Some up there? Okay, I see, I see. It's a beautiful chapter about love, but it may surprise us to know that Paul composed this love chapter in the middle of a church fight. One of the most beautiful passages. This January, we've been in a series called Church Is, and the first week, Pastor Icky reminded us that church is people, and when you look inside the church of Corinth, the people are a wreck. They're divided on party lines based on which preacher they like the best. They're divided based on socioeconomic status and uh, ethnic background. They're divided based on lifestyle practices and theological beliefs. They are divided, despite Paul having spent 13 months with them, building them up and training them, everything. I wonder if Paul's starting to feel like a failure because these people are falling apart. And perhaps 20 days into the new year, we can relate to falling apart as individuals, as families, as communities, the larger country, the world. Perhaps we can relate to the feeling of falling apart and being a wreck. But it's into this mess, into this critical moment that Paul speaks this beautiful love chapter. Now the specific fight that the people in Corinth are having in which he has this love chapter right in the middle, if you read chap uh, the letter of Corinthians chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, it describes what they're fighting about where he says this love chapter. The fight involves church worship services. They seem to be fighting 
over which parts of the service are more important, the praise or the preaching? Ever heard this one before? They seem to be fighting about who should participate and how. We only have one side of the conversation, but these gatherings seem to have gotten quite chaotic. Some people are having intense, praise the Lord, spiritual experiences. We don't know exactly what, what, they, what those, those were like, but they were speaking in languages that no one there knew. And they were intense, and they were having a wonderful experience, but no one could understand them. The other issue that they were having is people were wanting to speak their mind and say a word from God and prophesy or preach, but they weren't waiting their turn. So you have one preacher up there, and someone calls out, hey, preacher, I'm gonna, I have a word. And then everything was getting a little bit chaotic. Some people were taking thirds and fourths at potluck while others hadn't even been through line yet. The chaos was scaring guests and alienating members. So instead of this chaotic mess of a worship gathering, Paul wants them to work together. He says, like a body. I want you to work together as one, and it's not going to work until every single member of you, everyone that comes, feels like a valuable, needed part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15, Paul writes, if the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Look, Paul says, this is not a one-person show. This is everyone working together and every person that God has brought to the community is needed and valued and ought to be valued as an important part of that community. Every single person that God has brought has a unique set of gifts and makeup that is needed for the community to function well. So friends, if you're sitting in this pew, in these pews here, or you're watching online, and this is your community, if this is the church that you would claim as your home church, or the church that you, you are most often a part of, is this is your community, and you're sitting back, and you feel like everything is running smoothly without you, I wanna disabuse you of that notion. <laughs> you might not see the gaps. You might not see where you are needed, or where your particular gifts are needed, but friends, the truth is, we need you. We need you to be the church that God is calling us to be together. So Paul says, don't, don't think because you're not up front that you're not a valuable part of this church body and that you're not needed and the gifts that you have, the way that you are wired are an important part of how we function together as a community. And on the flip side, Paul challenges those who feel superior because of their particular gifts. Like the church could function, like, like the church could function without other people, but not without me. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, 
I have no need of you. So the issue with the first people that Paul is addressing is an inferiority complex. Okay, everybody else, they can do it better. I'm gonna let them do it. Hey, that person knows how to teach Sabbath school really well, they're really great with kids, I'm gonna let them run with it, and I, I don't think I could step into that role. But on this side, Paul is challenging the people who think that they're so good at it that no one else can, can get that baton. And they're not willing to hand it over. He said, I have no need of you, I have no, I'm gonna do it all myself, I've got it covered. And Paul challenges them. And then he goes on in verse 22. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Again, Paul is using an analogy. And looking at the body, saying some parts are visible. We see them. Other parts we cover up and treat them with, with greater respect. And they're not visible, they're not up front, but they are valuable, important, important part of the body and deserve our respect. And so I wanna say right now, AV team, we see you, we respect you, amen? We see you, you're not up front, but we see you. The Facebook hosts talking to people online right now, the greeters who were at the doors this morning when you came in, helping people feel welcome. The deacons collecting doors at that same door that we're not gonna lock, right? We respect you, we need you. The people downstairs caring for our kids, playing the piano, cutting crafts, handing out goldfish crackers. Friends, we need you. Why? Because those goldfish crackers bring the kids back, let me tell you. We need you. The most important role could be snacks for children's Sabbath school. We need you. Cafe team. Every single week, making sure we have some warm, some warm soup to uh, fill our, our stomachs and warm our hearts. Moving tables, sweeping floors. We need you. We need more of you. Amen. Amen. There's some <laughs> love for our cafe. Thank you so much. The people who extend worship here, not just at this hour, at 11.15, but that, that extend worship on this, on this campus throughout the week with our Food Pantry Plus, our Thrifty Box, not just on Wednesday mornings, but on Tuesdays and on Thursdays and all sorts of times you can go there and find people working to extend worship throughout the week, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need you, we need more of you. At the Wellness Warehouse, uh, just a ways down, meeting neighbors and helping provide funding as well for all the ministry that happens here. We need you. There are so many un things, unseen things that happen here that you might not even know about um, unless you know. And sometimes it's easy to just come and not be aware of what's happening and how to get involved. And I just talked with someone a few weeks ago that said they had come for several years and they just come and sit and enjoy and experience worship and then go and not really connected. But there's so many ways that you could be connected. And one, one way we're trying to be more uh, systematic about how we get people involved and let people know what's needed. Many of you have done this already, but if you haven't, I want you to pull your phone out right now. And on the screen, you're gonna see a link, volunteer. Do not be scared to fill this out. Your life may change drastically, but do not be scared. 
Why do I say that? Well, you're not making a commitment. The reason we created this, this way of people to connect is so that you could share all the potential things you might be interested in. So I want you to take your phone out right now. It takes two minutes, if you haven't already, and share the potential things that you might be interested in. Don't worry, you're not committing to all of these things. But this list will show you all the possible ways and the ways that people are needed here. And again, you may, you may write uh, tables and chairs. You may not get a call for tables and chairs for three months, but then you'll, you'll get a text message, hey, are you able to help us with tables and chairs on this day and this time? And we'll know that you said, hey, this is something that I could do. This is some, some way that, that I could serve. Now, saying that, we don't want anybody to commit to service out of sense of guilt. And if you're serving right now because you feel like no one else can do it and you're burdened and you're stressed and you're overworked and you're overloaded, come talk to a pastor. We will find a way to get you a team or help you step into a different role that's better for your life season right now. We do not want anybody to serve um, out of sense of guilt or do something that, that's not life-giving. We want you to find a job, a space, a role here that you will love. And if it's not here, if this is not your church home, whatever church that you're a part of, we want you to find a way to be part of that body that will give you energy and joy and that will be just so life-giving for you. That is the goal. We want you to find a job that you love doing for Jesus. There's a book um, that I would like to share with you. And um, this book was to Eric this Christmas, Eric Orlich with love from great granny and great grandpa um, this December. And they're here, this might be their last time with us for a while, grandpa and granny are back there in the middle. Thank you so much for being here. Um, when, when great grandpa picked up this book, I don't think he dreamed that I would use it in a sermon, um, but I thought it, it captures uh, so well everybody's job and role. So before I share that, I just wanted to say thank you so much for all of you who helped out and came and supported the book launch. It was such a beautiful experience um, together in community. So thank you so much for all of those who did. All right, so this book is called Ragweed's Farm Dog Handbook. I'm Ragweed, I'm a farm dog, and I'm really, really good at it. Most dogs aren't. But don't worry, you'll be great. You have the handbook. Here's the first thing you need to know. The rooster wakes the farmer early in the morning. That's his job, that's not your job. Don't wake the farmer. You will really, really want to wake the farmer, but don't wake the farmer. If you do wake the farmer, you can get a biscuit just to go away. Next, you need to know about pigs. Pigs lie in the mud all day and get bigger and bigger. That's their job, that's not your job. Don't lie in the mud. Mud is lovely. It smells like worms and toes and earwax. So you will really, really want to lie in the mud, but don't lie in the mud. If you do lie in the mud, you will get a bath, which is not lovely at all. But you will get a biscuit after the bath. So, okay then. Now, about chickens. Chickens sit on their nests and lay eggs. That's their job, that's not your job. Don't sit on their nests. 
You will really, really want to sit on their nests, but don't sit on their nests. If you do sit on their nests, you would get lots of feathers, but no biscuit. Bonus advice. Pretend you were chasing a fox away and you will get three biscuits. Give the fox one. Sheep grow curly hair, which is used to make yarn to knit sweaters for city dogs. Sheep are fun to chase too, but that's not your job. Don't chase the sheep. You will really, really want to chase the sheep, but don't chase the sheep. Exception, if the farmer is away, chase the sheep. No biscuit, it's just worth it. Cows eat grass all day and make milk. That's their job. That's not your job. Don't eat grass. You will really, really want to eat grass, but don't eat grass. If you do eat grass, you won't get a biscuit. But you will throw up a biscuit and you can eat that one again. <laughs> so that's how to be a good farm dog. Let's review what you've learned. The rooster wakes the farmer. Pigs get bigger and bigger. Chickens lay eggs. Sheep grow curly hair. Cows make milk. And what's the farm dog's job? To get biscuits. <laughs> now here's the best part. Watch this. This is when I sit on the porch with the farmer. He pats my head and tells me I'm a good farm dog. Then I get a biscuit just for that. You're going to love this job. Ragweed felt the love of the farmer, usually through biscuits, but he was motivated by that love shown through the biscuits. Here at La Sierra, we want to be motivated by God's love. First Corinthians 13 says, without love, guess what? All that praise music, all that tongues that you guys are doing, all that, it's a lot of noise without love. It means nothing. He says without love, all that work we do at the Food Pantry Plus, a wellness warehouse, all of that, without love we gain nothing. One day, there will be no more sermons. One day there'll be no more Sabbath school classes. One day there'll be no more Food Pantry Plus, but guess what, there will be love. And that's why we do it. So that all the world will know the love of God. So that's why we want you to find a job here. We want you to experience more of God's love and see more of the impact of God's love in your life and in this community. The church is a body built up by love. The word in Greek is um, oikodomai, literally oikos, home or household, and demai, to build. In chapter 14, right after the love chapter, Paul uses this word again and again, oikodomai, literally home building, building up a home. First Corinthians 14 verse three says, but those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Why do we prophesy? Because we're building a home in love. Verse four, those who speak in a language, it says, build up themselves. They're building up their own home, their own self. But those who prophesy, build up the church. Build up, we're building a home built out of love. 
Verse five says, now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So that why, the principle Paul is working up, that everything we do as a body, as a church, is what? To build up in love. Not to build ourselves up, to build one another up in love. Your personal worship experience is important, Paul says. Paul says, I want you to have tongues. I want you to have a personal worship experience of emotion with God. I want you to have that, that's important. But guess what, what's more important is what builds up everyone around you. That's more important, why? Because it affects all of us. Well, one part of the body is built up, the rest of the body is built up. So my mom was here and I was so grateful to have her and we were talking and she, she, was, uh, she was putting on some lotion. Okay, and she said, you should try this lotion. It's homemade lotion. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Like, where did you get that idea? And she said she saw someone else who had wonderful looking skin and she asked them what they did and so then she repeated the recipe and then she's using that. And if you wanna know the secret, you have to ask me later. But I said, mom, I've got something better for you. Guess what you have to do for good looking skin? Weightlifting. <laughs> Anybody heard this? In 2023, a study came out, published in Scientific Reports, found that middle-aged women exercising for 30 minutes twice a week for six weeks had facial skin, that was a denser with the ex extracellular matrix, whatever that means, um, had busier uh, genes creating skin collagen. In other words, their skin looked healthier. Why? Weight lifting twice a week? Who would have thought? But every part of the body affects the rest of the body so that we can be healthier. It reminds us that we're all connected Chapter 12, again, Paul says, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. We all impact each other. As part of our church welcoming statement, um, the line is included, we are as weak as our most vulnerable member and as strong as our healthiest. We all impact one another as one body. And Paul's concern is that we would be a body built up by love. Again, in chapter 14, verse 26, as Paul is wrapping up his argument about their chaotic mess that happens when they get together, he writes this. What should be done then, my brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up in love, for home building, for making this a home. When the Redlands Seventh-day Adventist Church dedicated their new building, I was surprised but delighted to hear that they included a song in the service and the words go, um, it's called Home by Philip Phillips. It says, hold on to me as we go, as we roll down this unfamiliar road. And although this wave is stringing us along, just know you're not alone because I'm gonna make this place your home. Some of you can hear it in your head. I'm gonna make this place your home. Don't pay no mind to the demons, they fill you with fear. The trouble, it might drag you down. If you get lost, you can always be found. Just know you're not alone, because I'm gonna make this place your home. I'm gonna make this place your home. How do we help someone feel at home? 
We help people feel comfortable. We think about their needs. But there's another saying that goes the other direction. What does it mean when we say, make yourself at home? What does that mean? Usually it's someone standing in the kitchen, make yourself at home, right? <laughs> Go make, serve yourself. Feel free to take something and do something with it, like you're at your own home. Feel free to use what's there. Whether to make someone else feel at home or to make yourself feel at home, at, at home it involves taking ownership of the space to serve yourself and to serve other people in love. 1 Corinthians 12, verse seven, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each of us, each of us has something unique and something special that can build a home here. The way you show up, the way you show up, the way you are formed, the way you are wired is needed here. You are valued here. And if you're already doing so many things, thank you so much. And if you're sitting on the sidelines wondering how you can get involved, don't hesitate to fill out that volunteer profile. We will connect you in so that you can be part of what's happening, part of the body. Mike wrote a poem when Eleanor was two, and it was called, What Does Home Mean? What does home mean, she asked from the stroller as we reached the front door eight days past her second birthday. Home is where we live, I say. She seems satisfied, but her question lingers. Well-worn words reverberate. No place like, be it, ever, humble, hearth and heart is. More questions come. How many can you have? How long does it take to make one? How do you know when you've made it? Can you leave it or does it follow? Is it where you belong if some say you don't? And when the rent is late, does a home get evicted? Where is the home of the immigrant, the refugee, the slave, the home of the brave? We open the door and go in, park the stroller, take off our shoes. We hope you park your stroller and take off your shoes here. That's a picture right around the time that Mike wrote this poem. Filling out the volunteer profile is one way to do that, to make a home here. But whether it's here or somewhere else, we hope you will feel at home Make yourself at home here and help make this a home for us all, a body built up by love. Amen.